0: On today's episode of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast, I have a special guest, Dr. LaToya. Dr. LaToya Luce Sampson is a wife, mother, board certified OBGYN, entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. She's originally from Trinidad and Tobago and earned her bachelor's and medical degrees from Howard University, completing a six-year BSMD program. She trained at Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia and currently lives with her family and practices in Northern California. Dr. Toya, as she is known on social media, found her path out of burnout through entrepreneurship and now uses her social media platforms to educate women so that they are empowered to take charge of their reproductive health and advocate for themselves. Thank you so much, Dr. Toya for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I am so excited.
0: Yeah, yeah. Same here. Same here. All right. Now, so Dr. Toya, as we dive Mm -hmm. in now, you being an OBGYN and a mom, Mm -hmm. what are some of those more common things that you have witnessed or even experienced yourself as it relates to concerns for the complications that Black women experience when giving birth?
1: Yeah, so I feel like one of the biggest things is with lack of diversity of the people that are taking care of us. You know, when you go on a labor and delivery unit, everybody's white. Everybody looks the same. Um, the nurses, most of the doctors. I've been privileged where, you know, my residency was very diverse. My last job was very diverse. But, you know, once you get out of your bubble and, you know, going to Howard, it's very homogenous. And what you find is that people have certain mindsets. They are focused on equality and not equity, which is really important for us. And there's not a whole lot of cultural competence that comes with, you know, a workforce that looks like this. So it lends to things being ignored, people not being believed, and then the complications come. And, you know, the more, you know, those things can happen in a passive person who thinks they're a good person, but then you add on the people who are actually racist, right? And you get the complications that could easily be avoided. Right, right. And that's
0: so true, especially, you know, coming from Howard, I can understand that for you, how that may have been different. I went to Tennessee State, also an HBCU for undergrad. And so, yeah, and then seeing that total difference to even just how you interact with your classmates and how you interact with your professors, even just on that level, when you're coming from a more HBCU type of atmosphere to one where you are then truly the minority and you you feel that and, and you feel like you're treated that way. Which we know in, in the realm of maternity and child care, though, can have some very devastating consequences. So yeah, definitely important to be aware of those biases for healthcare workers. I know there are some employers, thankfully, who are instituting some bias training and making it mandatory. Is that going on where you are?
1: Yes, and you know I'm in the state of California, and there have been there has been some uh change, actually spearheaded by Mr. Johnson, the person who started Four Moms, Four Kira, Four Moms. He lost his wife uh, a few years ago, and then took up the role of advocacy. So he's done some amazing work, mm-hmm. and that that has led to changes here in California where they've made some of the training mandatory. But I, you you've been to trainings like that or oh, not yep. even specifically, <laughs> you know, uh, bias uh-huh. training, right? You've been to training. Uh-huh. It's so easy to zone out. It is. Um, if, even if the topic is not as quote unquote controversial as race and bias and things like that. So if you already think you are a good person, you know, a good person, right. And you have this natural, Reaction to the topic of race, of defensiveness, and sometimes anger, or if you're just flat-out racist, how much is that really going to help? Yeah. It's not I'm not saying don't do it, but right. I don't know how far that will get us. It is one of those things where I always say anti-racism is is not a passive thing it is active you yeah. not yet you don't only have to recognize your own biases recognize what is happening around you but you have to act on making things better for the people right. around you you have to check your colleagues you have to check your family mm-hmm. right so the trainings are great and they're necessary, yeah. but I don't know that we could hang our hat that that is the only answer. Right. And that to, is
0: so true. We definitely can't use it as, oh, well, we check that box, right. you know, like the, the CMEs, you and I do everything, right. oh, we check that box off, you know? <laughs>
1: right. right. And, you know, I'm afraid at a, you know, C-suite level, that's all they're going to do, right? It's right. just going to stop there. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can continue to have this, these conversations and continue moving things forward. Yeah, that is so true. I will say, just uh, piggybacking off of with those
0: trainings, one that I actually did that I felt was pretty impactful, even, you know, as a Black woman was right. um, with a, it was a FQHC I was doing some work with. And the CEO at the FQHC, they actually brought in some individuals to do the the bias training, the anti-bias mm-hmm. training. And the people that they brought in, it was definitely not one of those, you can kind of just sit through and watch the okay. Zoom because they made you, right. You had yeah. to, you know, answer and be engaged and be, right active. And I appreciated that. And the CEO took it, you know, a step further and made it mandatory. Like there was no, no, you weren't going to take off or, you know, you had to be here or there. It was mandatory during your paid work hour. So you, you know, take those excuses out of it. Yeah. And it was very active and very, you were put, you know, hands up on the zoom to respond or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So it is true. Like you said, where it does have to be, you have to be an active participant. And then even beyond that, you have to be able to speak up on behalf of your other colleagues Mm -hmm. and when they're doing things that are not kosher too, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And now often in medical training, so we aren't really exposed to alternative forms of healthcare services Mm -hmm. and treatment. I will say we did at my residency program at University of Cincinnati, we did have one midwife who was actually on our staff and it was Mm -hmm. great just to see the way that she practiced in comparison to our attendings um, in the way that they practice. And then just over the years, I have met and experienced the work of doulas too within the care experience. So what are your thoughts on incorporating non-physician and birth workers into the birth care experience?
1: I think it's actually essential, especially in the United States, where it's so different than most other industrialized countries where midwifery care is the standard. And obstetricians like myself are there for surgeries, emergencies, things like that. And um, it's, this is data fact proven that for a low-risk individual who is giving birth, you are more likely to have a vaginal delivery if you're taken care of by a midwife. And recently, Department of Health and Human Services came out with more data where they had a report that showed, again in the U.S., for Black and Indigenous birthing people and their babies, the mortality and morbidity is decreased when doulas are involved in their care. The patient experience is improved. So you have the data now that people have known for many years that having these services and these non-physician birth workers are very important. Where I feel like, I think it doesn't get a lot of press and is not talked about enough, is the very wide gap, the, the tension that there tends to be between the physician community and the non-physician birth workers and for reasons that well deserved. They are these are legitimate reasons, some of them not so legitimate. So it is definitely something that I have taken a particular interest in because I am on both sides. I see the benefit, but I'm also a physician and I can see the harm from the lack of trust that's there, and also when you have these non-physician birth workers who then step outside of their scope and can complicate situations. So it is a very complicated, very complex issue, Um, but I feel like ignoring it is, is definitely not the answer. It needs to be addressed head on, but, you know, to answer your question, I think they are really essential for improving the maternal um, health outcomes in the U.S.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I certainly agree with you there. And just for our audience, can Mm -hmm. you get down a little bit more in terms of the types of midwives like here where (laughs) I am in the South, we actually have, you know, certified nurse midwives and then we Mm -hmm. have
1: lay midwives. So can Mm -hmm. you break that down for our audience? Well, there are actually a ton. <laughs> so <laughs> I can go over the most com- um, common types. So as you mentioned, the certified nurse midwives, those have the highest level of education. They have, I believe, a master's level degree. Yeah. Um, and then they're also certified professional midwives. And there are some states, especially in the South, where you can't be a CNM, a nurse midwife. You have to be a certified professional midwife. So even if you uh, CNM up north and you go down south, you actually have to retrain, oh, right? Wow. Um, yeah. And then- I was not aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of midwives don't like the term lay midwives because oh. it actually encompasses a bunch of different types of midwives. So they can be the direct entry midwives, They can, and I'm forgetting a bunch of them, but the- connotation tends to be when you use the word lay midwife that is somebody who is completely untrained and just woke up a morning and said I want to be a midwife and that's what I used to think before I started to dig deeper so there are definitely right. people that are doing that yeah but most of them actually. are doing apprenticeship and when I say like right. lay midwife yeah I should yeah. clarify
0: that I mean those who no. are, have come more by apprenticeship right. versus the ones who have a nursing right. background like you. yeah but
1: I have I have definitely gotten some interesting feedback when I use that okay. term. So I just wanted yeah, to put it to know. out there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Before I get the emails. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody did check yeah. me. I, I must say, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I, I didn't mean anything by it. But again, ignoring things I don't believe in. So yes, there are people that wake up and say, Hey, I'm going to be a midwife today. Let me deliver your baby. But like you mentioned, and that speaks more to the history of granny midwives and black midwives in this country. That's how it went right they you were trained by apprenticeship so there are a couple different designations of midwives that don't necessarily have degrees and didn't go through the typical nursing like you have to be an RN first and then this and that and that so yeah there are quite a few and the nursing organizations like A1, they have it broken down and things like that. So you can see the different designations. And I think that's also very important for patients so that they know what they are getting, what they want from their midwife experience.
0: Right. Yeah, that is so true. And, and that's really what it boils down to, you know, for the patient to understand and know what the qualifications are, you know, of that individual, as well as what their experience may have been so that you are aware and well informed. And you're going into this thing with having the birth of your baby and your birth experience, and then break it down even a little bit more for us. Now, what is the difference between a doula and a midwife for those people who aren't aware?
1: yeah so a midwife is a medical professional so they have they have medical training medical medical education even if it's through apprenticeship a doula is a non-medical support person so they're giving support before during and after labor and they tend to be the ones that spend the most time with the birthing person and I like them during labor and especially during postpartum because of that special kind of relationship that you have with them. And just you you need that support and you don't know it until you experience it. So I think they are really good, especially being recently postpartum myself. I wish I had a postpartum doula, <laughs> let me tell you. But um, yeah, the biggest difference is that they are non-medical and should not therefore be giving medical advice. Um, They can give a certain level of medical education. And I think that's where it gets a little bit muddy. It's because, you know, a lot of them are cross trained as childbirth educators and things like that. So you can, they can give you information, but the end of it is supposed to be take this information, discuss it with your provider, and then let them give you the actual advice. So that is, you know, the major difference.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for explaining that for us. If you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you like to, have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease, or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? Because you're tired of fat dieting. You know it's time for a change and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health, and it's your prescription for transformation. My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless, so join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you. And now, so what are some things that a patient should consider when they're formulating their birth care team of both physicians and non-physician caregivers?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, people focus a lot on credentials, which are very important. You want to make sure your doctor is board certified or board eligible and your midwife has actually delivered babies and, you know, all of their qualifications, having the experience and things like that. But what I think is more important is actually the style and the beliefs and the biases that your providers have. Because whether they want to admit it or not, that is going to uh, direct how they take care of you and your baby, right? So I am a firm believer that personal experiences and as a physician and as a mom can inform how I take care of patients. They make me a better physician as I've experienced things. However, I don't solely rely on my personal experience. I look at the evidence first. I look at what I've experienced and I recognize the biases that I have and look most importantly at the patient in front of me and individualize their care. What gets people tripped up is when you have a provider who is solely practicing based on their personal experiences, whether good or bad right? So if somebody has had trauma and birth trauma, either as a patient or as a provider, and they are then practicing, they changed completely how they practice and they're practicing based on that, that is not going to be a beneficial situation for you, right? You want to make sure that this person is not projecting onto you, right? Because They are not really thinking about you. They have not healed from their own issues. And you want somebody who is really considering you as the individual because everybody is different and every situation is different.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that too. I always had an attending and he used to say, well, the patient didn't read the textbook, meaning that everything right. that you learn in the textbook, they probably aren't going to come, you know, looking exactly the way right. with all the exact things that sit there in the book. So you do have to be ready to see that person as an individual and treat them and their needs as an individual. So yeah, that is, that is so true um, to take note of. And then Now, what are some things that Black women should consider regarding their health prior to
1: even getting pregnant to improve their birth outcomes? Oh, such a good question. So it is the most important to optimize your health before you get pregnant, right? There are so many issues that people are just even unaware of. So I think the value of preconception counseling needs to be kind of pushed out there. I feel like I hardly got those visits when I was in formal or traditional office space practice one or two people would come in just to see, am I healthy? Is this a good idea? You know, what things do I need to work on? But it is so, so important because you don't want to find out about health issues when you're already pregnant. You don't want to start to manage your chronic issues when you're already pregnant. It's really best to optimize beforehand. And with that, knowing your risk profile. So while I do believe midwives are essential for that low-risk person it's essential to know that it's for low-risk people wow. right not everyone can have midwifery care and it's unfortunate but that is the reality it may not be safe for certain people mm-hmm. so knowing your own risk profile is going to help you know what kind of uh, birth experience you can have and just optimize sometimes you can co-manage because they are issues that are uh, Yes, they're high risk, but you're well-controlled. Like if you have well-controlled hypertension or diabetes or something like that, you can still have a midwife take care of you. And then they have a physician backup who is co-managing with them, somebody they can consult with. So it doesn't mean I can't have the birth experience that I want, if that's indeed what you want, Mm -hmm. but it is really essential to know what is going to be the safest thing for you. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the thing people have to remember that it's 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 two people you're considering in this picture. It's you and that baby too. And so you have to take that into account uh, with whatever that you're doing. And another thing I, like, I always like to remind my patients is that there are some medicines that you may need and we may need for certain health conditions that we can't use in pregnancy. So mm-hmm. it is important to you know get those health conditions under control and to even know that those things may be aware of there is the opportunity that we can treat them and and reverse those things before you are to get pregnant um, to Definitely. make that easier yeah, for you and the baby.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I, as you said, that a thought came to me of a friend of a friend who wasn't trying to get pregnant. But it was one of those things, I'm sure you hear this all the time. Well, if it it happens, I'll be happy. Well, that's Mm -hmm. great. But if you're on medications that are actually contraindicated in pregnancy, then that's kind of a big deal, right? Because you'll be happy about your pregnancy, but then you would have inadvertently put the pregnancy at risk by taking this medication. Mm -hmm. So you really need to let, you know, if you have chronic medical problems, let everybody know hey, there's a chance I could be pregnant so that they can have you on the right medications and things like that, or be on birth control, right? So, you know, that part is really important.
0: Right, right, so true, yeah. And now, so how can both physician and non-physician birth workers be helpful in the postpartum period to further prevent maternal complications?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's difficult for physicians to be as present as non-physician birth workers. And whenever I talk about the realities of healthcare in the US system, we always get a lot of hate, right? But there's so much that we have no control over. So I can only see patients postpartum so many times. um, And that's where I think a postpartum doula, for example, or even a midwife is so essential because they have leeway to see the person very often in that postpartum period, especially the immediate postpartum, which is usually when those complications happen. So if you're seeing somebody every day, if like a doula is in your house, they are going to be able to catch things and be like, okay, I think something is not right. You need Mm -hmm. to go in to be seen. So I think that is really, really um, important. And then For physicians, you know, really optimizing that postpartum visit and making sure that we are having short term follow up for people who really need it, right? So I see because I now do locums work, so I'm a traveling doctor, I see all sorts of craziness that's happening out in the community, right? Right. So, you know, I came from a large HMO where everything was very standard, and I think I was spoiled. I didn't realize how you know, the high quality of care that we are providing, you know, for an example, if you have a high blood pressure problem during pregnancy within seven days, usually earlier, you need to be seen in the office for a blood pressure check, right? That's non-negotiable, right? People are not being, they're not being seen until they're six weeks and they're on these meds and they don't know if they should stop and all that those things. So it is important for us to also stay up to date in what is appropriate for care for our patients in the postpartum. And then when they actually do come in for that six weeks, not just being like, here's some birth control, right? There's a lot more to evaluate for our patients and we really need to do better by them. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I find that too, a lot of women just
0: I don't know if they just are unaware or even we as physicians haven't done our job to make them aware that those pregnancy complications can still occur after birth. It's not like you give birth and then magically all of your risk and all of your complications (laughs) go out of the window. Those things can still occur for several months up into a year afterwards and still be related to that pregnancy. So yeah, that follow-up is, it's so important to know um, and be aware of and do.
1: Yes. And I'll tell you again, I am three and a half months postpartum. Get yourself a postpartum doula. I wish, <laughs> wish I had one gifted uh-huh. to somebody who, right. you know, is pregnant. It's yeah. Having help yeah. is essential. It is. Yeah.
0: Cause even, you know, even though you're a physician and you're OBGYN, you know, specifically, so you know those things to look out for and to do, but it's a total game changer. When you've got this little person at home, you're tired, you know, you're overwhelmed and stressed from that. And so you're not even thinking even clearly for yourself. So it's, it's helpful to have that help and support there for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah
1: Just an extra set of hands, you know, is right. overwhelmed. Everybody's tired. A fresh set of hands to just help and pick up this flag would be really yeah. nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. And so, what is one thing that you would like for everyone to know regarding improving the birth experience for Black women?
1: Yeah, so I think just acknowledging and really acknowledging that there are these issues that are out there, right? if somebody is, if a Black woman is telling you her experience, believe her, right? Because I have seen it with my own eyes. People don't believe that it's as bad as it is out there, right? So the first step, we can't really change anything if nobody is acknowledging that these problems exist. And I think we really just need to start there. It sounds so simple, but I, I see it on a daily basis that it is a, uh, the biggest problem still, especially during Black Maternal Health Week, I saw posts from people on LinkedIn blaming uh, domestic violence as a bigger, well, it was a bigger killer of Black women. So why are we talking about race? And it's just like, oh, was that appropriate? Like, right. You yeah. know, it's, it's not less important, but right. you're kind of deflecting you know that what about ism yeah, well, what about this what about exactly. yeah what about me what about what right it? so when we are in these spaces and we care it's easy to think that everybody is talking about this and everybody else cares and everybody gets it but a lot of people still don't right? So we need to continue doing our work, continue talking about it, continue caring so that we really get the message out there and people are starting to acknowledge that this is happening. So then we can get to the action part of it so that we can make that change.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we saw not that long ago within the media where Serena Williams, you know, Mm -hmm. after she had her baby and thankful that she did, she openly discussed you know what her experience her birth experience and the complications she had and how she wasn't listened to and you right. see this woman you know she's a professional well-known woman and even then it just highlighted what we're talking about here uh the biases that occur uh with black women and and contributes to why we have some of the highest uh, maternal death rates and and complication rates surrounding birth so yeah yeah
1: yeah and i mean she's pregnant again i I don't know Uh-oh. that I would have recommended that. But. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. well, well, I hope things go much better for her. I'm sure she's yes. going to have such a heightened awareness system. Right. Yeah. I remember seeing, I watched a documentary about her and she said she loved being pregnant. I can't relate to that, uh, <laughs> but I really hope that she has a very safe delivery. <laughs> right, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Toya, for coming on the show.
0: Now tell the audience, how can they connect with you more?
1: Yeah. So I have a brand spanking new website. So you can find me at drtoyaobgyn.com. That's d-r-t-o-y-a-o-b-g-y-n.com. And I am on all platforms at drtoyaobgyn. I made it easy. Everything is the same (laughs) on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Awesome.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you. Yes. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It was great. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube and at doctor.tw at E-O-H-W-C on TikTok. Interested in becoming a member of the Essence of Health coaching program? Well, head on over to www.eohcoaching.com. The Essence of Health is in you.